Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I'm here with the writing coach from Better Faster Academy, Becca Syme. Welcome to the show, Becca. Hey, hi Nathan, thanks for having me. I am really looking forward to this episode and I've been super excited about it ever since I went to your talk at Nink, which was fantastic. Um, I had a lot of good takeaways from that. And I, one of my physical takeaways was your book that you gave oh, away, The Writer You Need to Quit, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Tore through it and said, you know, I would, I, I frequently do uh, takeaway episodes where I break down a book I read, but I'm like, there's no way I can do this justice. I got to get Becca on personally. So nice. I'm so happy you're here and that you agreed yeah. to be on the show. Oh, yeah. I love your format. So I'm psyched to be here. I'm yeah I'm I'm happy that you that you like the show and I'm 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 thrilled to have you as a guest. Despite the fact that you just flew in from 20 books to 50k conference and you were up till one in the morning, your flight got yeah. in at one in the morning. So you were yeah. a champion for even doing this. Yeah, 12 hours I think I've been back in Montana. Yeah, yeah. what part of Montana are you in? Bozeman. So it's the I live in the middle of five mountain ranges. Okay. And in a ski town, at a university town, it's a lot like. So what Austin is to Texas, okay. Bozeman is to Montana. Oh, nice. I'll have to visit. I love Austin and I love Montana. It's so. amazing. Bozeman is amazing. All right. We'll put that on the list. Hey, if um, you ever come, I'll take you. Well, I won't take you skiing, but I can tell you where to ski and fly <laughs> fish. But I don't do any of it. That's okay. Well, I can just look at the other people skiing. That's fine, too. I'm, I'm, right. Yeah. Right. I've, I've skied one time in my life. I didn't fall down. I was okay at it, but I don't know. It was a long time ago. So... Um, but we should get into the, the meat of this. There's so much good stuff to talk about. Um, for people who aren't familiar with you, could you give them the brief synopsis of Better Faster Academy and what you're doing with this with this program? Because it's it's amazing. Yeah. So I work primarily with how your brain is wired, both an, on an individual level, like how we're wired differently, personality and stuff like that, but then also subconscious processes, right? What I call the psycho subsystems, which is that big giant word everybody yeah. freaks out about, but it's really um, your semi-conscious processes and why it's so important to know more about how your brain works mm -hmm. so you can be better controlled. Choices. What I say is I want to produce better decision makers. Like that's hmm. the goal. I don't want to make your choices for you. I want you to be a smarter decision maker long term in your career. So have yeah. more control over your brain. Yeah. There was a, a sort of voice in my head that um, as I was reading your book and I felt like the general message was um, you're a smart person. Stop making stupid decisions. Yeah, like that was like I feel like it was like a slap in the Facebook, like where it was yeah. just like, hey, stop it, stop, stop doing yep. that. <laughs> that is a hundred percent accurate because I do actually. I have a strength called positivity. I do yeah. actually believe that we're all smart, yeah. and we just don't have control over everything that happens inside of our heads. So mm -hmm. my goal is to help give you more awareness and control over that. Yeah, that's so accurate. <laughs> Well, good. Well, it definitely came across, so you'll be happy to know that it came across. Uh, I see Joe Solari is watching. He says, I'm surprised you have any voice left after 20 books. Uh, <laughs> I know. I don't. I almost don't. And I went to karaoke also, oh, and cool. so I'm even more shocked that I have a voice left. Yeah, and then uh, John Patton is watching, recent guest of the show, and John and I have been discussing you in detail, and uh, just before we went, on, went live, I was sharing that you know I was sending John screenshots of your book pages just because of how 
what you said resonated with us. Right. And then um, he immediately said, I got to sign up for this class. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And um, there are so there's so much good content. First off, like when, when you see that the title of this book, Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, can you tell people a little bit about like the premise of Dear Writer, You Need to Quit? And, and Yeah. So if you if you think of a cloud of voices that talk to us, right? Especially as authors, there are so many experts and and having just been at 20 books, I think I feel this even more so. Like there literally would be an expert one hour being like, do this and the next hour, don't do that. And the next Mm -hmm. hour, do this. And the next Mm -hmm. hour, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so as writers, we get so much advice and so many people have things to say and we have a hard time sorting through how to follow advice and who to listen to and who not to. And my feeling as a success coach, which is which is what I was before I started just doing writer success coaching, um, is the the how you listen to someone is so wrapped up in whether you believe that you should be listening to their advice or that your brain is a better place to go for answers. And so a lot of times when I would talk to people about, oh, you're doing, it's like, no, just, you got to quit this. And so sometimes that shock of like, if you say to someone something very harsh, then they have that shock moment of like, they take you seriously for a second. So I found that if I could get people's attention for a second, then I could really talk to them. And that there's so much that we need to quit doing. And and so many things we need to quit listening to not everyone needs to quit listening to like this one particular person. That's not what it's about. It's who do you personally need to quit listening to? And then what do you need to keep doing? And then what to question? So it's like, how do you curate uh, your your advice and your life? really one of the sections i really liked that you phrased it as i think uh quit trying to do all the things yeah and that resonated with me in a deep way where it was because as indies especially as entrepreneurs who are also publishers we're we're wearing so many hats we have our editing hat our, our publishing hat all these different hats and managing a team of cover designers and other editors and things yeah. like that trying to do yep. everything and you're trying yep. to do everything well of course yep. but what I love about your approach is, hey, stop trying to do be amazing at everything. Yep. Why don't we step back a second, see yep. what you're really good at, and then yep. focus on that. And in the idea that I think there is this idea in in um, our community that you have to be good at everything. Yes. And, which I was or that, that you, you have to do a hundred percent of the work. Like there's nothing that drives me crazier than this idea that if I don't do 100% of it, it's not really me. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, let's just say, for instance, it takes me personally about 30 seconds to do a spreadsheet of data with my KDP stuff because I love it, right? I love spreadsheets. I'm a total spreadsheet nerd. Brian Meeks and I get along really well, right? And then you have on the flip side, it's something. Some of the takes about four and a half hours to do just the spreadsheet setup, let alone the data entry and all of that stuff. And I'm like, what are you doing? Wasting your time doing all that stuff, outsource that to somebody. And then, yeah, you have to trust someone with your information and you have to trust that you're going to do it well. But 
would you rather have that four and a half hours back or would you rather do it yourself? Like quit doing it yourself, right? So that's, that's yeah. I mean, I was raising my hand because like, for me, a spreadsheet is the opposite of fun. It's the exact opposite yeah. end of the scale. And yeah. it, as far as my to-do list goes, I will keep pushing it as far down my to-do list as I can until the end of the year when I absolutely have to do it for my taxes or something. That's yeah. And I don't want to be like that. I want it to be more current. My my business will run more efficiently if I get someone else to help me out. Yes. And yeah, and that's the that's the whole misnomer of self-publishing as opposed to yes. indie publishing because we're as opposed to indie. That yeah. is the perfect distinction because as an indie record label right as mm -hmm. in music mm -hmm. you would never consider doing all of the producing yourself all the mixing yourself all the singing yourself all the whatever that would never even be on your radar as an indie you get the best people because you want the best product so i love that distinction between indie publishing and self-publishing that yeah 100 percent yeah and because we also have to look at it in terms of our successes might be different and this this past week I had a launch and I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, well, here's how I feel about it as the author. The author side of me about it feels this way about the book, the product, the reviews, the, what I'm getting back. Yes. The publisher side of me may feel completely different. My yep. publisher side is a completely different hat. And I loved that you discussed that in the book where you said like, okay, just because you wrote an amazing book and put it out doesn't mean it's going to be amazing or like there's yep. like a certain amount of money you're getting in. That's a different hat that you wear. Yep. And uh, the publisher yep. side of things is much more practical, obviously. Yes. So, yeah. um, I like yeah. that. I like that you. I think you use the term "no quid pro quo," which is a, a politically loaded term these days uh, on the yeah. news. But like, it's not a give and take. It's not a guaranteed industry, yes. and we need to stop yeah. thinking that it's a guarantee. Yeah, like we have to think about it literally, like it's gambling. Like you almost have to consider this to be, I'm throwing it out and who knows, because I, I talk about this a little bit in the book, the percentage of books that actually sell well enough to make you your money back is extremely low. If you spend more than $300 on a book, only 1.8% of all books on the Kindle store make enough money back to recoup that cost. So literally you are gambling that your books are going to be in that percentage granted if you've had more success in the past you're more likely to keep all your books in that arena but it's not a given just because you write a good book does not mean you're going to make money it's not like clocking in at a factory where if i clock my hours i'm going to get my money nope it's yeah. vegas it's basically Vegas. And I think the longer you're in the industry, the more you experience that, of course, because as a publisher, you're going to be putting out a lot of products and they're not going to yeah. be the same products. And I, I made that mistake early on when I was like, I had put out maybe three books or so in a series and they'd all gotten escalating returns where I'm like, okay, well, if I put out nice. another book, it will be even more and I'm guaranteed even this much more money. And it wasn't true. I put out a new book and a new series, despite knowing all the things that I knew from having done a few books already, my mindset was... I'm, it'll always keep going up. And that's not yeah. the case. It actually can come down. You need to readjust. Yeah. You need to reassess. The market changes. I yep. love one of the things you talk about is market volatility because we yes. are working in an incredibly volatile industry. Yep. Yeah. And it not, it's not just that the market itself is volatile because whenever there's so much money at stake, 
there's this influx of people who all want to make money. And then you have people who are not even really writers who are writing books, right? So there's that level of volatility because you can't count on being among peers all the time when you're publishing books. And that is is hard for people who are real writers, right? But then also there's this unpredictability of the fact that the market literally determines what sells and what doesn't. We don't, advertising companies don't, publishing companies don't, the readers do. And if they get bored with something and decide they're gonna move somewhere else to something else, there's nothing we can do to bring them back because everyone else's choices impact my bottom line so much. And that level of non-control is like, it's really hard for some of us to handle. Yeah, it is this sort of mystery. We're fishing a lot of the time, and we can't always see yeah. what's going on underneath the surface of the water where all the readers are. You know, yep. we, we're just following around big schools of fish, and we hope that just because we caught several fish the last time we threw our line out doesn't mean we're going to catch yep. one this time. Yeah, the school might have moved. Yeah, it the whole thing may have moved, and uh, you know, been over, been overfished or something. You know, whatever yep. you want to do with that analogy, I'm sure there's a lot of ways. Yeah, no, that's a great analogy though. I that's did... why they have the blue water analogy, right? Like, if you find the red water where there's already a lot of sharks, then there's going to be less capacity, and it's so hard to find blue water even today. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's a great analogy. Of course, you live in Florida, so I would assume I that the fishing metaphors would be a plenty. <laughs> and I also like the, the boat metaphors. You use it too. I've heard Joanna Penn use it, where it's like you know the traditional publishers are these big, massive ships trying to steer their big industry ships, you know, and we're little nimbler yachts as Indies able to adjust and find those maybe bluer waters a little quicker before someone else rolls in and drops anchor and takes all of our fish. But, oh you know, yeah, that's you know that's something that we're able to do by being nimble. But it yep. does. But we also have to be super smart about it. Yeah. And um, like you said, quit making so many assumptions about about things. Um, yeah. And then also, I think one of the things that you, you know, question your question the premise idea. I think is brilliant. Throughout, <laughs> throughout this book, your QTP voice I think was amazing. Yeah. And I just had this little voice in my head the whole time. But do you? But do they? But do, does yeah. it? And it's like this constant yeah. little question. And I love that voice. And I feel like it's going to be in my head now. Yeah. Um, yep. From here on out, everything I discuss. Oh, but really? You yeah. Know? It's like, like yeah. yeah. Um, can yeah. you tell people a little bit about that and how, how you made that to come across? Yeah. The So if you if I ask you a question and I give you two answers, right, you assume that you have to choose between those two answers. Like if I ask you, do you want chicken or fish? This is what I say in the book, right? Mm. Do you want chicken or fish for dinner? So not only do you assume that you have to pick between, between those things, but you also assume that you even need to eat at all. And you don't ever stop to question it because it's just of the way it's presented to you. And so every single thing that we hear from experts, from ourselves, from our environment, we accept premises all the time without realizing it. And uh, there are certain personalities that are more prone to questioning those premises and mine happens to be one of them. And so that's something I've been doing from a very early age is that sort of, I call it the QTP voice because I kind of get this, um, it's from Arrested Development, by the wow. way, the, the what I, I was show. referencing at first. Yeah. Um, do you remember that? Did you see that show? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Remember when um, George Michael was dating Anne and Michael would always be like, her? 
right? <laughs> like that, <laughs> yeah. that's where my, where I started giving a name to that thing was like the, um, are you really sure that that's who you're talking about? Cause she seems to not be that thing. Yeah. That's where I started verbalizing it out loud. Okay. Um, and I would hear Michael in my head saying that, but, um, the, I've been doing something like this for so long because I feel like I can see that when you accept certain premises. So here's a, for instance, um, I was just at 20 books. You go to a lot of conferences where there are presentations by industry professionals and there's nothing wrong with the professionals. They're smart and awesome. But if you don't happen to align with what they do when you listen to them, and you don't question the premise of why they're giving you this particular advice. So, for instance, um, in one of the panels, Goodreads had mentioned like, oh, authors should always go and comment on leave reviews for other authors books. And I was like, but should they? Yeah. And not because it wasn't good for Goodreads. It's good for Goodreads for us to leave because it drives traffic. And if any of us ever gets in a let's call it a hot seat situation where we've made a review and somebody starts to call us out more traffic driven to Goodreads, then it's great for Goodreads, but it's not a great idea for us. But if you don't question the premise of why they might be telling you that, then you never like, you'll never get underneath that assumption of mm -hmm. why they are. And then you, you'll just accept the premise and then follow their advice. And so the QTP for me is, I mean, I encourage people to question everything. Like, and you'll yeah. see this if you ever watch the quick cast, right? Like, should you really write faster? Should you really write a book a month? Mm -hmm. Should you really write every day? Should you write eight hours a day? Like all of that stuff, question right. the premise. Like that's yeah. kind of, yeah. And I think it's very important questions to be asking because this industry is so individualized. We're a bunch of tiny businesses and each Yarn. business being run by an individual with different strengths, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, hopefully about the strengths thing. Um, and not everyone's strengths are obviously the same. So why are we all trying to run the same business the same? Yeah. You know, like it's a, we're hitting, we're fishing for different kinds of fish, different readers yeah. in this scenario. We're operating yeah. different sized boats. We have different, different equipment, different catalogs of books. We have different amounts yep. of tools at our disposal and different like, oceans, but then we're all trying to be like each other. That's not, doesn't yep. make any sense. So yep. um, I really appreciated that you, you call that out. And also that um, you, you point out some of the dangers of trying to be like that because you do mention burnout and how swimming the wrong direction yeah. or, you know, trying to go the wrong way is it it's, doesn't work for your boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the metaphor of water is actually one I use a lot with this. Like if you think of how easy it is to float downstream mm -hmm. with the current, and then when you swim upstream, you are expending 10 times as much energy to get not even a 10th as far. So it's, it's counterproductive to swim against the current. And a lot of people are swimming against the current essentially in their author career, trying to do things that they're not wired to do. And they're expending so much energy to do this and they don't realize it. And then they burn out and then they have to pay the consequences of what that burnout might look like in their yeah. career. And, yeah. and that's where it gets really, really dangerous. It's a big thing too, between like the part-time and full-time authors where it's like, okay, yeah. 
you know, full-time authors got eight hours a day, five days a week, if not more, to do this. And they're yeah. plowing upstream. And then part-time authors over here in the rowboat, you know, trying to keep up with, you know, the other one's got an engine and you've got oars. Yep. You know, and then you're trying yep. to keep up with it. With, you've got two hours a day that you're able to commit to or maybe exactly. three hours a week, you know, whatever it is. And then you're trying to yep. keep up with this person in this other genre that's just killing it. Like that's... It doesn't but make should any you? sense. Yeah. Like, but should you? Yeah. Should you <laughs> yeah. find your own stream to go up? Exactly. Um, and uh, I think it's also important because of you know genre differences are so big, and what works for one genre, in like yeah. thrillers or romance, doesn't work for small niches sometimes, and vice versa. Exactly. Um, yep, exactly. There's just so much to question. So yeah. I think I think it's very important um, that you ask that question, and I, I really appreciate it. Joe has a question for us. He says, "Yes, um, given that publishing is more like poker than chess, what is your take on how much is skill and how much is luck in publishing?" That's a perfect question because um, th so there's four success factors. So as a success coach, I study success almost exclusively. I have been for 14 years. I'm a little obsessed with it, and I say there are four factors to success: hard work and talent are two of them and then luck and timing <laughs> right so hard work you have total control over most of the time unless mm -hmm. you're in burnout talent you have some control over and we can talk about that when we get to the strengths part luck you have no control over relatively speaking unless you believe in law of attraction and then maybe you have some control over it um and then timing and that you have absolutely no control over and the sort of famous story about harry potter have you heard that about the woman who basically wrote harry potter before harry potter came out no so like 10 years before harry potter the first harry potter was released there was a book with three kids set in britain in a uh second world that had a magic castle and one of the bo the boy was a redhead and there was a girl and another boy and they were magic trying to save the world from evil right yeah. uh 10 years before harry potter came out that book was released and no one's ever heard of it i can't even ever remember the name of it yeah. right um and i don't think it was written by a british person though i think it was but it was set in britain okay 10 years later the timing was right like we were in an extremely optimistic place as a world. Everybody was ready to think about being heroic again. Um, you know, we're what, 10 or 15, 10 or 12 years after the Berlin Wall came down. It was still pre 9-11. It was the perfect timing for Harry Potter to come out. And then all of a sudden it was an even better time, right? Yeah, which is like post 9-11. Compounded and, the success because it compounded the good timing. Yep. That's an interesting way yeah. to look at it. So Timing is massive, massive. And then luck is also super important. So you can be, and what I say in the new book, because in the new book, I'm writing more about the success metric, those four factors. Um, what I say in the new book is I've coached 2,500 authors and roughly 10% of them are extremely, extremely successful. But there's another 10% of people who have excellent books, who have hard work. So they have both talent and hard work, but their luck and timing have been awful. And they are struggling to even, like some of them have quit, right? Some of them aren't writing anymore. Um, and so luck and timing are massive. It's absolutely not hard work alone. It is not talent alone. 
but you can't do it without, like, you can't do it without luck and timing. Um, but you also can't do it without hard work and talent right. too, right? They're essential. Well, you know, hard work and talent are essential, but yeah. um, you know, not the only thing. So, how does one prepare for good luck? If you have talent and you have uh, hard work, how does one prepare for good luck or bad luck, or good timing or bad timing? Since those are the things we can't control. Yeah. So, be resilient is the biggest deal. If you release stuff and it doesn't hit, you have got to move past it quickly. Like if you're going to be an indie publisher and not just an artist, if you're going to be an artist who sells books, that's a different thing. Then you, I will allow you to get angry at the market and spend years be, being frustrated that your book didn't sell. And I won't push you out of that but because you're not really being a business person at that. And, and that's not diminutive. I think it takes both kinds of people in the industry for us to be successful. We need those people who are super committed to their art and who just don't care if they make a million bucks. They just want to survive, right? The, the starving artist mentality. Um, that's okay. Plenty of those artists go on to make money. So that's good too. But if you're going to be in the put the business hat on, be an entrepreneur, um, you know, think like a publisher for half the day, like uh, uh, Chris Rush says, you know, think like a publisher half the day and a writer half the day. Um, and I like that metaphor. So if, if you're going to wear your publisher hat, the biggest thing for how to deal with bad luck and bad timing is to develop better resilience. And in the book, I talk about talking back to your unrealistic expectations. So you cannot expect that every book will sell great. It is not realistic to think that way. If you insist on holding on to that unrealistic expectation, you will get stuck in anxiety, thought loops and fear spirals, and you'll not be able to write and it'll frustrate you and you'll just be stuck there. So if you want to not get stuck there, you release the unrealistic expectation and that can take time because you have to catch it every time it comes up and you have to QTP it and you have to talk back to it. And it's not easy, but it's worth it because if you don't build your resilience, you'll never be able to deal with bad luck because it's, it's similar to the Stephen King thing uh, where he talks about his 99 rejections. But we have to think it as maybe it might be 99 bad launches. You know, like if I'm yeah. going to learn something from every single rejection, like he talks about putting the letters on the nail where it's like every time I got one, it was a uh, I considered it a, su a success because I was going to fill that nail. And if we can develop that kind of mentality of don't hold my failures so tightly and allow myself to have some non-success as an indie um, and build that resilience, then it's so much easier to just, okay, it didn't work. So I'm going to be a publisher hat and move on a little bit. They always talk about how uh, failure is such a better teacher than success. Um, yeah. And there are some people who have a lightning strike story and become immensely successful right out of the gate, yeah. but don't know how to replicate it because they yep. haven't really, um, I won't say they haven't earned it, but it, but they haven't, um, tried it wasn't it. intentional. No, it wasn't yeah. intentional, and they and they they couldn't tell you how it came to be. So yeah. because the luck and the timing were so good, um, yeah. and maybe their 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 talent and skill level wasn't quite there yet to do it again. Maybe they you know, and they're trying yeah. to recreate this. So I think it's important. Yeah, the resilience is key. Um, we should talk about the strengths thing because you are yeah. a Clifton Strengths coach. Yeah. Um, you use this system. 
I, I took the, the test myself uh, recently and I found it very in, in, interesting to, to see nice. uh, what my strengths were. Can you talk a little bit about what the, were your the strength? Five? So I had uh, strategic, I had includer, which uh, my wife was like, yeah, you're absolutely an includer. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had uh, off the top of my head, but I, I can't remember. But those were the two that stuck with me right out, right off the top. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I'd have to look. At, I think, actually, I have it pulled out. I can pull it up here in a second. But um, Yeah, it, let me talk about it real quick. Yeah, you go you look it up. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So strengths, um, the, it's how I got into studying success. Like I've, I have high significance as a strength, which means I like the standouts. Like I'm obsessed with how people stand out. And so when I first heard about the strengths, it was like I got a, a conversion, like a religious conversion almost about, wait, what are we doing worrying about our weaknesses? And so I started primarily focusing on this, but the, the program itself was built around studying success. So Gallup uh, uh, has a researcher whose name was Donald Clifton. He passed away in 2003. He's the one that created the test back uh, decades and decades ago. But what he did was he went to interview 2 million of the best of the best in every uh, field. So the best housekeepers at Disneyland, the best CEOs, the best math teachers, the best NBA basketball stars, right? And what he was looking for was let's interview them exhaustively and see if there are patterns between how they are executing so successfully. Um, so they had already been labeled by their industry as a standout and like top 1%. And then he was studying how. After he did the study, he realized that there were some really clear patterns to how people were standing out. And then he uh, collated them into 34 different areas of consistent overlap. And then they had they created the test to test for these areas. So basically, uh, as opposed to like the Myers-Briggs or DISC or something, which are here's four categories that we've decided everybody fits into and we'll give you a test to determine where you are. The strengths comes from the data of success. Mm -hmm. And so it's how do you become a standout and how are you wired? Because what they found was everybody's wired for success in some way. So let's figure out which of these 34 areas are your biggest strengths and then let's focus more on those areas. Yeah, and I, I really liked that when you brought it up in your... Um, oh, hang on, I lost well. your... Oh, am I not there? Can you still oh. hear me? Okay. I can't. I can't hear you. Oh, oh no. That's my bad. Sorry, I had I had myself on mute there for a second. Oh, that was, that was that's my bad. okay. Um, sometimes <laughs> I, I just want microphone noises and things going on on my oh. side. I mute myself and then I forget that I've muted myself. So oh, I'm, just, okay. I'm just talking away at you here, and you're like, oh no, that's not it. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't your end. It was mine. But oh. um, yeah, no, I really liked that you brought that up in the. Uh, the class as well, where you had people like, you know, leaning into those strengths because those are where you're really going to define your success um, because you're not going to get amazing at something that you're weak at now. Um, no. That's It's unrealistic for you yeah. to expect to be amazing. For me to get amazing at spreadsheets, it's just not going to happen. I mean, no. I know that that's not, I don't have the desire. Um, I may get adequate at it yeah. at best. Yep. And yep. which is fine, not to say that I shouldn't get adequate at it, but I shouldn't put all of my efforts into being a great spreadsheet guy. Yeah. Um, Should I tell the reader story really quick? Sure, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so 
the to test the theory about whether you would get better if you focused on your strengths, they did some research. And one of the things they did, and you heard this at Nink, right, was um, they took two groups of, of readers. One started on average speeds per minute and the other started at above average. So we had 90 in the average group to start and 350 in the above average group. Put them through the same speed reading class. Mm-hmm. The people who started at 90 ended that six-week program at 150, which is still only in the bottom of the average category, right? Yeah. And the people who started off at the above average at 350, they ended up at 3,000 words a minute at the end of that class, which is the top 1% of all reading speeds. And it's just reinforcing this idea that um, if you start off here and apply the same amount of time and intention, you still only get here. Wouldn't you rather be here? And so let's spend more on where you could stand out rather than trying to get you to just level up a tiny bit all the time in all yeah. of these like average areas, right? Right. How frustrating is that? Yeah. No one wants to be super average. Yeah, you know, that's just not a goal any of us have. My goal in life is to be mediocre at everything. <laughs> what? Uh, like, no. Yeah. No, that's, um, I think that's good. So, yeah, I, I found my other my other ones that I tested for. Oh, so good. It was a strategic includer, maximizer, intellection, and consistency. Um, oh, gosh. No wonder you like the strength so much yeah, as a yeah. maximizer. Yeah. So, like, maximizers are, are success obsessed. They love that taking something that's great and making it stand out. Um, and so, yeah. And in election, interesting. Do you, so do you, how long do your books take to oh, write? The year. Yeah. I was going to say usually yeah. in elections process a lot. Like I do they process need to... a lot. And I realized uh, in, in terms of like the writing faster or things like that, a book a month sort of thing. Like I can't do that because it's not, and I've tried dictation. I've tried just trying no. to learn to type faster um, the, the issue isn't the speed of my hands to the keyboard. The issue isn't the speed of my mouth to the, to the uh, microphone. The, the issue is the speed of my brain to any of my other ways of getting it out. It's got to sit in here for a while. It stews and percolates. Yeah. Well, if it, if it helps at all, the way I talk about in election is it's like uh, growing a thought baby. Mm. So you have to allow it the time to turn over and over in your head because it's refining and growing to a point where it can live on its own outside of your brain. Like that's what intellection does. And if you don't give it that time, then maybe it can't live outside of your brain. And so for people who have high intellection, who get this, like, uh, you should write every day and do a crappy first draft and that kind of thing. It's like, holy cow. If you ask an intellection to put the mess that's in their head onto the page, it takes them 10 times as long to edit it once it gets onto the page. Stop telling people, for the love of God, to just write crappy first drafts. That's I literally want to, like, it drives me nuts. It's, you're, yeah. you're, 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 it's so cracking me up because I just had this conversation. Boo Walker and I, who's a former guest of the show, Boo and I went to lunch on, I think it was Wednesday, and uh, we were just having this conversation where I was like, I can't nice. do that. I don't write the crappy first draft. I cannot. I know it's painful for me to come back and try to redo something that I've thought that much about the first time. Yep. And I want it on the page close to what it's going to be final. I'll come yep. back and tweak and edit and all that stuff. But I'm like, yep. no, it's, it's spent enough time in here before it ever hits the page. And that's your strength. Like yeah. that's the key is if you force a high intellection 
to try to put out something that's like jelly up here still and it's not formed yet it is going to be crap forever on the page for mm-hmm. them like it's so hard for them uh to to cook the stuff outside physically on the page but if you just let them conceive of it fully and let it turn over and finish it comes out perfect it just comes out perfect and so why do that to people and again it's the I don't fault people for saying that stuff because part of the reason they say it is because it worked for them when it happened Mm -hmm. but I want to say but but don't tell everyone that they have to do it the way that you did it because you're actively stalling people who would be fine on their own. If you just let them be. Yeah. Sometimes we're, we're really giving bad advice with good intentions. Oh, such good intentions. Yeah. We're trying to give back and we're actually harming and um, we're harming. Yeah. yeah, And it's, it's unfortunate, but it's hard. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's great that you're able to so, so immediately recognize those things because yeah. it just be like, oh, intellectual, and you must write like this. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're good. I know. <laughs> so you'll laugh at this story. I, I coached a magician last uh, oh, wow. last class, and he reads crowds for a living, right? And so he was so uncomfortable when I was doing the strengths coaching with him because he's like, I can't even read. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not me. It's that's how accurate the test is. The test is so accurate that I can look at five things and basically tell you all of this as long as you were honest mm-hmm. on the answers. Right. Because if you try to get what you think real writers should have, which is a misnomer, by the way, there is no such thing as a top five that real writers should have. But if you try to do that, then it won't be accurate and it won't be helpful. Um, but if you're accurate on the test, it is, it's amazing how aligned you can get because yeah. there really is a pattern to success. Alignment was, was one of the big key takeaways for me from Nink, um, coming yeah. away from that and being say, look, stop trying to do everything. Stop trying to be great at everything. Try to align those strengths and say, okay, what can you produce now? What, yep. once you figure these things out, um, what can you produce? And I think I think the uh, results are going to be so much better. I'm looking forward to this year. Um, like one yeah. of the things I've, you know, after coming out of this book, and also I'm going to go on and read your other stuff. But I've also, um, it's helped me to like put some things down, and I feel so much lighter as a result. Yeah. Like I was carrying around all these things yeah. I have to do, and I'm like, ugh, I don't really have to do this part. Yeah. So I'm just going to yep. set that down, and I'm going to be the better version of myself, which is a little lighter weight, a little more nimble. And I'm going to do yep. the things that I really want to focus on and that I'm also yep. really good at. I'm going to get off these other hamster wheels that I'm trying to run on simultaneously and I'm just going to focus. And I think that was a, my, one of yep. my biggest takeaways from your book, which I can't thank you enough for, which is great. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad that it resonates so much because mm-hmm. that's my whole goal. Like, I just don't, I have a strength called connectedness. And so I see the connections between how one person's actions affect other people. I just don't think that we realize how dangerous it's going to get for all of us to be overwhelmed and overloaded and, uh, and uh, depressed and scared all the time. Like we really need to, uh, for the good of everyone, for the good of the industry and the world, like, we need to release some of this stuff and feel easier in our skin. Um, and then the whole industry will feel easier together because we're all so connected. 
We should talk about, um, you have an upcoming book, or I'm sorry, no, you have a book out oh, yeah. currently on burnout. On burnout. Uh, and you also have an upcoming book as well. But can we touch on the burnout subject? Because I think yeah. it's such an important subject right now in our particular community. We, we were just talking about this. I mean, you just it came from 20 books to 50K. There's a lot yeah. of people just getting on these hamster wheels sometimes, trying to yeah. do everything. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Personally, I don't think it's uh, able to be maintained long term. I don't think the industry can yeah. stay the way it is with the amount of people it is doing this particular method long term. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people are going to crash and burn along the way if they don't figure out these types of things. Yep. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about your burnout book and what are some of the things we need to quit in that one? Yeah. Um, quit all the things. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so burnout for me is so much about holding on to unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And of course my QTP, but should you, you know, that kind of thing. But for me, I think the burnout really comes from not being aware of how you use and uh, expend and receive, I guess, or make energy because, um, so we have, a certain amount of energy that we can use every single day, right? And I say a thousand pennies. That's what I say in the book. We use pennies and banks. Um, and so you have a thousand pennies to use. And then whatever you don't use kind of goes into a bank for the times when you are super stressed out and you need to burn through more energy. When you have only a thousand pennies and then you use more than that, then you take out of the bank, but you don't know that you're doing it, right? Mm. You still think that you're running on this endless source of energy until your bank goes defunct and yeah, you don't have any more. You're your reserves without realizing that you're... Yeah, you and you don't know that that's what you're doing. And so, and then additionally, there are certain activities that we do as writers that cost more energy that when you spend them and overspend. So for instance, um, something wrote like, what do I wear today? Those kinds of choices are not big penny expenders. But when you sit down and you're creating something out of nothing, you're using so many different quality types of energy that it's costing you more pennies. So sitting down to write words, even if it feels good, mm -hmm. is still expending more energy than it's giving you. And so that the people who are overexpending their creativity and never refilling the penny bank are mm -hmm. going to burn out. And the bad part is that when you burn out, you literally reach the end of your ability to make energy and there is nothing you can do about it. So mm -hmm. like I have some clients who I've coached through burnout who have hit the bottom so hard that they like ruined years of because for so long, uh, they went for so long. Yeah. yeah, like it'll it might break their business. And for sure, it's going to break some part of their business. But the the payoff is never positive. It's never positive when you burn out. Mm -hmm. You can learn stuff from it, which is awesome. But it's it always has a big time cost. And and so if we're not conscious of how we are refilling our energy. So like there was this amazing podcast 
on the self-publishing show a little while ago with Amanda Lee, where she talked about how she writes like 10,000 words a day, but then she spends a ton of time reading books, watching television, and just refilling her well. And everybody who would talk to me about her before that podcast are like, she's never going to be able to sustain it. And I'm like, oh yeah, she is. Because she is making sure that her tank is always full. And she's always got new creative energy to spend. And that is a super, super smart use of the pennies and banks theory, right? But those of us who are looking at our lives and we're like, but I can't make time to read books for three hours a day, then I'm like, well, then you need to be more careful about how you spend your time because your your bank won't is not unlimited. So you can't just spend can't, energy We can't be forever. spending more than we're taking in. It's just it's like... You're smart people. It's stop just being like so stupid. Budgeting, like it's right? just that basic concept of like this is obvious, people. Why don't we yep. pay attention to it? Um, yep. Which is so much of what your your advice is. It's just like that slap. Like, it's wake like, up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Stop being yeah. so stupid. Um, yeah. No, I, I love that, and I, it relates to something I'm dealing with right now because I'm I, I'm usually when I finish a book, I refocus on craft, and part of my craft process of getting excited for writing the next book is just consuming a bunch of other books especially at a skill level that's beyond what I can currently do. I like to find people that are um, amazing at something that I'm still trying to learn to do. Because hopefully, having finished a few books, I've mastered certain things. Um, but that's, if we're doing it right, I think as right, not, I, could, I shouldn't say doing it right, because there's always another way to do it. But um, <laughs> we should always be pushing our boundaries a little bit farther. But again, you've got to be refilling creatively to do that. Because like, you can't just sit there in your own head all the time and no. come up with new ways to be better. Like you've yeah. got to get that from some outside outside help. Um, yeah. And other writers are such a huge source of knowledge yeah. because they've done it. They've been down this road. We've all been down this road at some pace. Yeah. Learn from people that have already mastered this craft in a certain yeah. way. That's um, a great maximizer strategy, by the way. I just want to point that out. What you're doing as far as the looking at people who are better than you. Because as a maximizer, that what will inspire you towards success is the, I don't want to be just good at something or just great at something. Like mm -hmm. I want to be amazing or excellent. And you have to live in that headspace mm -hmm. if you're going to get to that place. So that's a really good, I mean, of course, you have high strategic doesn't surprise me, but that's well, a great that's, maximizer strategy. I kind of always equate it to working out type of thing where it's like you don't work out with the person that's that's weaker than you. Work out the person that's stronger than you because yep. they're the ones they're going to pull away. They're going to push you to go a little bit harder and you're going to yep. constantly trying to get to their level. Um, yeah. That's why, you know, the trainers are usually in great shape. Yeah, in great shape. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's also the other thing I learned recently, which I think was also a, a, um, a self-publishing formula show or one of these uh, interviews that um, we're talking about just the idea of practice too. Like that, yeah. we have to look at it like practice. We have yeah. to realize that we're not coming out of the gate. You know, we shouldn't be able to you know pick up a violin and know how to play it. Like that's yeah, we yep. can do the motions. We can I can do this and I can move my fingers. I have the ability, yep. but just because I pick up a pen and know how to write letters doesn't mean you know how to write a book. So yep. like that idea of consistent practice is something that I've yeah. been um, also working with and realizing that all of this is practice. Yeah, it is. The next book. And, it is. Uh, yeah. And I think that yeah, there's, there's so much to be gained from 
listening to other people who were doing it well, like the Amanda Lee interview. Like I listened to that interview as well and was very inspired. Yeah. I, I knew yeah. though, but there was also a voice in my head like, I, that will never be me. I am not writing nope. 20,000 words a day. Or, nope. you know, 10, I mean, that's, that's just not going to ever be me. So I need to yeah. stop trying to think that, that, that there's a path towards that. Because I've tried you know, switching dictation. I've tried jumping on all these different bandwagons in the past. And yeah. it's not me. So. No. And it's so important to have that ability to say that out loud mm-hmm. and then to say, if my expectations are here, mm-hmm. am I expecting something of myself that I'm not capable of doing? Because if I am, then that unrealistic expectation is always going to cause me stress. And yeah. one of the hardest things for people to lay down is to say, I can't be this person. I can't be whatever. But what I love about strengths, and this is so important, is that you can still be a standout. You can still be a standout in your own way, but it's not going to be by copycatting somebody else's success. It's going to be by how, how do you the best be successful? That's why I love what you said about the maximizer and wanted to point that out because I'm like, that's exactly where your instinct is leading you. You're already wanting to head in that direction. The mm. more intentional you can be about that, then that's where you hit that 3,000 words a minute area is where you shift your focus into, I'm going to be more of a maximizer intellection today. Mm. I'm going to give myself the intellection incubation time. I'm going to spend more time driving in my car and riding my bike and running and walking, which mm. are all of the incubator times for intellection. Yeah. And I'm going to intentionally disconnect from social media and intentionally give myself silence and space and let my intellection play because I bet you could get books done faster than a year. If you let your intellection play more, you would cook faster. So I was nodding along with your chapter that was like, quit thinking that Facebook is your friend. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, true story, Becca. Yeah, true story. <laughs> um, we have a uh, comment from Nathan Roden. He says, hi, Nathan and Becca. Becca, I believe all writers can improve, but it's obvious that while anyone can become a successful author, everyone cannot. Do you believe that authors who have the potential to become full-time authors bring certain things to the table? That's a great question. I mean, so I, I would know. say... In, in different genres, I have seen crossovers of certain strengths. So like, for instance, it's really common in science fiction and fantasy to have high ideation, high strategic, high intellection, like some you know version of those strengths. But it's not necessarily predictive in the sense that I can't say you have ideation, therefore you'll be a great sci-fi writer. Mm. It's more about if you are in a particular spot, and this is why I'm so encouraging of people coming to do coaching, not just of me, but I mean, there are, you know, 1500 or 2000 certified strengths coaches in the world. I just happen to be the primary one who does writers. Um, But we also have a staff of people too. But anyway, this is why I like coaching so much because it's more of listen to what Nathan's top five are and how do we get Nathan to be better 3000 words per minute level at those five strengths, because that's when Nathan is more likely to become a standout author, right? Is when he is being top 1% of intellection, top 1% of, and here's just one example. So if you have an intellection idea that you feel compelled to put out before it's ready and you know that if you had another two weeks to really think about it that you would be able to make it even better than it was right that's your instinct 
is to say, if I just had a little more time, but because you're on a deadline, you say, well, I have to do that. Uh, if you had done less Facebook or less whatever early, done more intellection incubation, etc., in the very beginning process, you might have had those extra two weeks of thinking time because you were more intentional about the incubation. And then what happens there is you have refined the idea so much that all of a sudden it becomes this stellar standout book. Mm -hmm. So what I think is really awesome about Nathan's question is it's asking like realistically, is there a point at which you have to say, I don't have the wiring for this? Mm -hmm. And I would say, I don't think that's true. Um, I don't think anyone has wiring that would keep them from being successful. Mm -hmm. But I do think that how much you embrace your own wiring and how much you work with go flow with the current has a huge, huge metric. Um, but just to answer the specific part of the question, there definitely are some strengths that make it easier to be an indie publisher. Um, you know, things like high achiever, high discipline, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not correlated with six and seven figure authors necessarily, because there still are people with achiever and discipline who don't make it there. And there are people without achiever and discipline that do make it there. Mm -hmm. Right. So it, it totally depends. And one of the things that stuck out to me too about Nathan's question was it says, do you have the believe, believe the authors who have the potential to become full-time authors? I questioned like, but do you have to become a full-time author? But do you and have that, to be a full-time author? That, that's yeah. always my question. Cause I, I run into that a lot. I'm not, I'm a, I'm a part-time author because I have another business. I'm a full-time entrepreneur. Yep. I'm full-time self-employed, but I have two businesses yep. and I'm constantly thinking there's a, there's a common um, idea in this community that you have to be a full-time author to be a real writer and no. it's just not true it's just it's yep. just um, you know whatever works for you and in my case it's yep. actually incredibly liberating having yep. another job that I have a couple days a week that also goes along with this job because the yep. pressure the pressure is yep. off and I don't have to put all of the weight of everything on this author business and make it succeed um, all the time sometimes one business is floating the other business and vice versa yep. And yep. so the whole question of like, do you have to be a full-time author? Like, yeah. You yeah. still put out books, right? So yep. um, like that's, it's just a matter of, you know, yep. what works. Yeah. That's... And actually, if you have intellection, and I'll say this, uh, I'll probably ask you to be on the QTP episode when we do this about full-time authors, because that's coming up in about a month. Um, so I'll have you on the quick cast about that. Because okay. uh, that was perfect, the way that you just put that. And I want to say... High intellection people often do better not being full-time authors because mm. if you take long to produce books and you get caught into this, but I have a two-month deadline, but I have a whatever, you're always going to be frustrated with the product that you're putting out because it's not going to feel like it's a big enough, unless you're writing in somebody else's world or something, and then that's a totally yeah. different situation. But yeah. like if you're creating your own stuff from scratch and you can't have your own time, sometimes it actually benefits high intellection, high input, high learner, um, high strategic, like there's all these strengths where it could potentially be better for you to not be a full-time author. You might produce better books and be happier and do more of what you want to make more money and make more readers happy if you Possibly. have a part-time job. Yeah. Um, Nathan says he doesn't like his job. So that's, um, I think uh, part of his issue. So it may just be the job. May not be yeah, the job. Yeah, it might no, just be the job. It may not be the hours. It may be the, the circumstances. 
Um, Alan says, I desperately need to take her quiz for free. I, I told Alan that you were nice enough to give us all, all of us who went to your class got, got free codes for your oh, Clifton yeah. Strengths thing. So yeah. he's, he's super jealous that he didn't go to that, uh, that session. Uh, oh, I know. Me. You know what? Send me an email. I'll give you a code. I'm, I'm feeling generous today since you asked for it. There you go, Alan. See, yeah. you, you know, asking that show, you shall if receive. If you come to the show, you get the benefits of being live on the show, yeah. right? Yeah. Everyone was so jealous of like my my uh, uh, book I got for coming to your actual session, and yeah. I understand you were planning on doing some actual uh, paperback giveaways yeah. as well. Yeah. So if any, those I'll of you guys were commenting. Paperbacks. Yeah. So like, I'll just go pick some random commenters. I always do the random number generator okay. thing and yeah. pick some commenters. So I think I have three books. I was telling Nathan like I love to give books away. So I'm happy everywhere I go. I want to just like rain rain books on people. Yeah. So if you haven't commented already, definitely leave a comment for, for Becca yeah. and uh, add some, you know, put your name in the hat to get yourself a free book from Becca, which yeah. I think is super generous of you. Yeah, um, I love doing it. Yeah. So you'll get a postmark from Montana. Right. Okay. Yeah. But. Where it's like hot outside. So <laughs> uh, I'll trudge through the snow to get to the post office. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's you know, worth it for these readers, right? So they, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Becca, thank you. It's been uh, obviously blazed well past our half hour and went right yeah. almost to the hour mark. So we'll, we'll yeah. try to wrap things up here. But um, this has been uh, a blast, as expected. I really look forward to this episode, and I really enjoyed it. So um, where's, yeah. where, for people that want to learn more about your Better Faster Academy, where should they go? Uh, how can they connect with you? So betterfasteracademy.com is the best place if you're looking for classes. And that's, uh, we do a Write Better Faster class, which is author alignment success uh, strategies. And then the Strengths for Writers, which is primarily coaching cohorts. And uh, uh, we only do Strengths Finder in that. Um, but I also have a free channel and, and we'll have Nathan on the quick cast too, so that we, you guys can come over there and see him. Um, but I have a quit Q-U-I-T-C-A-S-T channel on YouTube where we talk about what to quit, what to keep, and what to question. And we do a lot of QTP episodes of like, you know, everybody says I should write every day, but should you, you yeah. know, I should release a book a month, but should you? Yeah. Um, so we're going to do a lot, lot more. Up yeah. That sounds fantastic. I'll definitely check out some of those resources myself. And then I did put a link to your website in the comments so people can find it there. Oh, cool. Uh, maybe we can add some links to your other stuff too as well if we get time. So Yeah. And all those links are on the website too. So, But yeah, thanks for having me. This is a blast. Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. This was great. And uh, thank you everyone for, for commenting and watching. And if you're listening to the podcast, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you uh, enjoyed it, feel free to share it with someone. Uh, let, them, let them enjoy it too. So thanks for spreading the word. Becca? Thank you for being here. This is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, All you're right. welcome. Thanks, everybody. All right. So long. See you next episode.